brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with a 67% Chris podcast, Chris Lydon and Chris Francis. Uh, it's been a, been a few weeks since the last time we talked at Cavs Podcast, and we are here to just kind of dig through the latest happenings with the Cavs, the rumor mill, the uh, draft lottery is tomorrow, uh, a lot of news in the last week or so, and then a lot of people getting all up in their fifis about the Twitters. So, uh, so yeah, a lot going on, <laughs> Mr. Francis. Uh, I got a question for you. Sure. Shoot. Where? So my take on the draft lottery is I would actually rather be at 14 than probably three or four. I, I don't want to be, a, I, I, one or two would be pretty smart, pretty awesome. Like that you're kind of top guy is Jabari Smith, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. And and you would love to get that opportunity to move into the top one or two and get him, correct? Yeah, I think I think now that we've had a little bit of time to stew on since the Eli since Eli and I published the the little draft special, is that um the there's definitely two guys that could immediately help the Cavs at the top. It, it would be Jabari Smith, and I would say the second one might be surprising, but uh, I'd say J- uh, Jaden Ivy, Jalen Ivy, or Jaden Ivy, the the guard from Purdue. Uh, I think both of them would have an immediate impact that would be um, can't miss basically for the Cavs at the top. But I uh, totally agree with you in terms of. 14 being a good spot in the draft because I think, you know, I, when we first started talking about, you know, the 14th pick, what I what I think has now emerged from the conversation about the 14th pick is that the Cavs are going to be sitting pretty. They're going to have options. So that's that's the main thing that I see out of 14 is they're definitely going to have they're definitely going to have several ways to go and it'll be interesting to see which way to go. And actually it's funny you say all this because the question I really want to ask you guys questions uh, about uh, uh, the 14th pick or whatever because I think there's two questions that came up. Um, 
I'm not sure if uh, now we should do it or not, but uh, uh, to me, the question to you guys would be, do you go best person available, best player available, or do you try to find a need? You know, do you find a guy who fits a need or, and does he fit into the roster? So that's where I think that's what the real question is at 14 is uh, the Cavs have to decide, do they want to find a guy that fits um, in terms of, uh, you know, at a position of weakness or at an area of weakness, or do they want to just take the best talent available? I think that's going to be a question at 14. And then the secondary secondary question to 14 is, do you want to go for an immediate impact guy or do you want to try and find another star? So I'm really curious to see what you guys feel like in terms of BPA versus need. And do you want to get an immediate impact guy versus do you want to try to hit a home run for a star? So to me, it's really hard to get an immediate impact guy at 14. Um, no matter what, you're looking at, you know, one or two years of development. Um, I mean, let's think about who the immediate impact rookies of the last season were. You know, you had Mobley, you had obviously Scotty Barnes, um, and then you had a lot of guys that were, were pretty good and, and got brought a good bit of value, but it's, you know, and you saw, who was it, uh, Williams for... Uh, uh, out of Stanford for Memphis, got some minutes in the uh, in that series. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's really hard to find a guy that's you know going to give you an immediate impact beyond you know the far end of their bench. Um, and so yeah, I don't know if it's role player or I think you just take the best long term prospect and. You take the best long-term prospect that you think can play a role for your team. So if that role is a bench wing that uh, can kind of help them develop into a long-term player, um, you you look at a development path like a Macau Bridges who, you know, didn't – got some minutes when he was a rookie in the next year and kind of worked himself into the player that he was. That, I think, should really be the goal for them. Um, because clearly the Cavs aren't in a position anymore where they can force feed minutes to bad players to, to, you know, force them to grow. And so you've got to take guys that you think you can develop given the minutes that are available there. And, and I certainly think there's plenty of minutes available on the wing for the Cavs. Um, you know, to me, um, Lamar Stevens and Dylan Windler, I don't think are long-term fits for the Cavs. So I think there's a lot of minutes there. Um, And the jury is still out on Isaac Okoro. So, you know, in positions three and four, there's definitely ability or the ability to develop guys there. Two, three, two, three, and two and three. And then once Kevin Love's done, uh, the, the four spot opens up. So, yeah, yeah. How about you, Chris? What do you what do you, what do you uh, make of the BPA versus fit need argument and the uh, immediate help versus take a, taking a project, uh, you know, a project type of guy? Yeah, it's very dynamic right now. I know that's a a bit of an out to put it that way, but I think that they're going to consider all of that stuff uh, largely. What you know, and there's also the mix of what I think they'll do and what I would what I would do personally. But I'm more interested in what they would do since they're smarter than I am. Um, 
and I do see them looking at at a development timeline for a player. Um, you know, it really struck me the other day. I was uh, going on a quick tangent here. I was talking about the Suns with a friend of mine, whether they might blow the team up. Um, I know Chris Paul's got another year um, on his contract. I don't think he's going to walk away from that money. But uh, my buddy said, well, they've got this great young core. He started naming guys that he considered part of their core. And I realized that these are 25-year-olds that you're talking about, you know, being part of a young core on a team. And we're a lot younger uh, still. Uh, so I do think there is timing there. If you're looking at sort of a window of of the first contract for Mobley, it's a little bit longer. Um, I think people are ready to go because of how well the team did over expectations this season. But I do think the organization is interested um, in building still, and they're going to try to find a guy that they can develop. You, your point's great, Nate, about uh, development time. I do think the wing will be a little bit more open. Um, I see Steven sticking around, but I don't, I don't see him getting a lot of play. You know, I think he's a reserve. Um, I don't think Windler will be around. Um, and I don't even think necessarily Chetty will be around. So I think they're going to have some more, uh, to play with there. And we might get a few hints, um, from other moves that the team might make that, uh, before the draft that give us a little bit more insight. But that's what I see. I see them taking, um, having said, I think they're going to limit that, not just from best player available. But from, uh, you know, best skill set that we need available. And, uh, and they're going to be looking at some of the things that we've heard them talk about over and over again, um, in terms of playmaking, ball handling, you know, shot creation, some of the things that they really like. They want to get shooting. They're not going to get all of those things. You know, they may not, you may not even get those at, at one or two this year. Um, even though there's a lot of great talent in the draft. Um, so I like them at 14. I think they're going to find. Uh, they're going to take one of these small forward types, um, that are drifting around on a lot of the big boards, um, around that 14th pick. Um, and we'll see where they go from there. But, uh, yeah, that's what, that's what I can see them doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. I think the, uh, the other thing that's a big part of the calculus for me is the Cavs are, they're invested in guys or they want to invest in guys with high basketball IQs, uh, strong work ethics, and people that are not going to be culture problems long term for them in terms of you know fitting in with these kind of hardworking, unassuming young guys that the Cavs have, and um, and not be a you know high athleticism, medium level uh, you know basketball IQ guys. I think. That's really where their uh, where their focus is going to lie, and I think that means just as much to the Cavs org as does the measurables, like uh, you know how they play on the court and and the athleticism and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and sometimes that's to their detriment as a team. I think they tend to outthink themselves a little bit. Um, you know, I think they're part of uh, what has made Phoenix successful is they just go get the best shooter and try to plug that person in. Um, I, and I kind of wish the Cavs would do that on some levels, but you, they have an identity as a team and they tend to stick to it. So uh, they tend to get these defense first guys. So um, <laughs> I know. right? <laughs> and, and that's for good or ill. I mean, I got into a discussion last week on, on Twitter and it was like, uh, who do you think has a better long-term future? You know, Okoro, or Stevens as a shooter. And I say, oh, it's absolutely Okoro. I mean, Stevens just has 
a really wonky form, especially on his lower body, the way he shoots. And he twists himself around, and he has a really hard time even just staying in bounds on shots. Um, I have a hard time seeing a guy like that stick long-term in the NBA, unless he's an otherworldly defender or, you know, an otherworldly player inside the three-point arc. And I just don't see it long-term from him. He's definitely an energy edge of the end of the roster guy. So... Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the defense thing because I saw an interesting post on, um, I think it was Fear the Swords comment boards. Uh, there was an interesting post that about defense and how the teams now that we're down to the final four teams in the playoffs, uh, that it, the kind of the narrative about these four teams is that these are supremely talented defensive squads with kind of middling to mediocre offenses. And so the question was raised, like, is defense back? You know, is defense the formula now to for success? Has, has there been a change, you know? So I, I, I'm curious to get you guys' take on that. Um, so we've got in the East, you've got Miami, which I think absolutely fits your narrative. I'd say Boston absolutely fits your narrative. And then in the West, uh, we've got Golden State and Dallas. And yeah, it's really interesting. And I got a kind of a take on that. And I'm going to give it away when we come back after the break. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I am here with Chris Francis and Chris Lydon. And we were just talking about what the identity of these last four teams in the playoffs is. And it's really interesting that each team kind of has its kind of defensive fulcrum and then its offensive superstar. Uh, and, you know, you got for Miami, that defensive fulcrum is, you know, Bam Adebayo and also Jimmy Butler. And then, you know, for them on offense, Jimmy Butler is also kind of the offensive hub. But they really uh, distribute around the uh, the scoring and it could be anybody's night one week. But the one thing I've noticed, Miami does really well and it just ticks me off is they produce good shooting wings that can play system defense seemingly out of thin air. Like, they got Max Struess. Um, they got um, not the other guy, Javon Carter. The the other guys on this team, I, I just... Javon Carter's on the Bucks. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but um, uh, Duncan Robinson... Uh, who didn't even play, hardly. Caleb, yeah, Caleb Martin. They had Kay- the Mar- one Caleb Martin. Yeah, yeah. And and it's just it it boggles my mind the way they get good shooting wings uh, that are also functional players just out of nowhere. So if there's one thing to catch and emulate is that the other side of that you see uh, Golden State where they've got their defensive fulcrum is obviously Draymond Green. He's also their offensive playmaker, their de facto point guard, and then you've got. Uh, Steph Curry, uh, and then a bunch of really good complimentary players. And then, you know, Dallas has got their offensive fulcrum is Luka, and he's the best offensive player left in the in the playoffs. And then the, it's really a team defense, but uh, was it Dorian Finney-Smith uh, is really their, their best defensive player. So, but they also, you know, uh, Jalen Brunson is a smaller player, but he's very, very strong, very much in that uh, Kyle Lowry mode. And 
So it's really interesting. It feels like every team, really good defensive team that relies on a superstar and good complementary players. And yeah, those teams that, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you it's, it's almost like one superstar and really good complementary cast is more important now than this big three that a lot of these teams have, because it, it feels like once you get a big three, it's really hard to have a good four, five, six, and seven, you know? So I don't know. I don't know what you guys Ooh. take on that is, but Ooh. spicy. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I do think you're seeing that. I think, um, part of that has just been this, the individual success of, of, of a handful of guys. And that's enough in this league to drive what, what then becomes the trend, right? So when you have an Embiid, uh, Jokic to some extent, um, some of these guys haven't had great success, but they're still, uh, you know, there's some big men, especially that have been uh, really dominant. Uh, we're, we're in that Giannis, uh, era, it feels like. Again, even if these teams aren't advancing, uh, they've had a lot of success, uh, this season and this postseason. Um, I think a big thing we've seen in general so far from these series has also just been defense. Um, there's been some really incredible, specifically team defense and some interesting defensive sets happening, um, across of, of a bunch of these that I've seen. And so, the Cavs are really well uh, situated in that regard. Um, but I think we've seen a lot of the shortcomings of the big three formulation um, in that if it's easy enough to get three of those big people together, uh, it can be easy enough for them to leave. Um, and we've seen we've seen that happen. Uh, whole super teams have sort of come together and fallen apart within a single season. Um, obviously, it's a lot more reliable to have a stable of effective role players surrounding your star. And so... We'll see. Yeah, it's it's interesting you brought up the uh, Jokic's name uh, in particular because there's an argument to be made that I've heard others talk about and fans, Denver fans and stuff like that about and, and just NBA observers in general about how maybe they went about team building the wrong way in, in the sense of why don't you just surround Jokic with defensive-minded dogs who can and he's going to make them effective offensive players, but surround him with guys that can help him in in where he's weak and and kind of take the load off of his back, especially on on one side of the court. So I thought that was interesting. Like uh, you know, it, hearing you guys talk about you know, well they got their heliocentric offensive player, and then they got a whole bunch of you know two way complementary guys like you were saying that can really lock it down defensively. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's really going to be interesting to see how these these series shakes out. Shake out. I'm really excited to watch both of them. Um, I I think that Mavs Warriors series is going to be has the possibility to be one for the ages because you know very much it feels like Luca's coming into his own. But it, I wanted to uh, kind of harken back to something that uh, Mr. Lydon said in that the defensive execution has been top tier. The other thing that I have seen is that when a team can't execute defensively, really good teams will uh, pick them apart. And I that's really what I saw from Milwaukee. And, of course, it was Coach Bud. Again, I just didn't understand the way he was coaching that last game, it was clear to me that they were putting Brooke Lopez in situations he was not comfortable with. Um, 
and just swinging the ball to the side that Brooke Lopez was on and shooting corner threes from there. And, you know, very much like the Cavs with Kevin Love, uh, Brooke Lopez could not close out to the three-point line. And that's where Grant Williams, I think, shot 18 threes, something like that, a ridiculous number. And and if you are going to give guys in a home game that many open looks, like – if that guy doesn't hit it, they're going to bring in somebody who does. And and he absolutely made them pay. And I, I felt like you were seeing that from them. I also felt like uh, Phoenix just had no answer for, the, for Luka Doncic at all down the stretch. And clearly the Mavs had read the Benmore scouting report of sit on Chris Paul's right hand. Um, don't let him getting get to that right hand fallback. And of course, we'll we'll talk about the playoff series in a minute here, these game sevens, but you know, it's very much once you find an edge and you exploit that over and over and over, and if you don't have a counter for that, you're toast in the NBA playoffs. And, you know, to me, the Mavs made that, you know, after game two where they just put Luca in every pick and roll and kind of destroyed him. Um, the Mavs made the adjustment and clearly they got a lot better at defending that pick and roll. And uh, Phoenix got a lot worse. It's, hilar- it's hilarious. Yeah. What what the adjustment was, was Jason Kidd calling out Luca <laughs> and saying he's got to play defense. <laughs> that was well, the adjustment. <laughs> well, and, but also like how good – do you have how good are you in that you can just start playing defense? I mean, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, to going back to Chris's point, I think one of the adjustments that I that well, what's interesting, I think, is a kind of a meta narrative over these playoffs so far is, and in particular, Boston and Dallas, whom you mentioned, is especially on defense, is they're surviving by going small. That's how they've beaten Phoenix and the Bucks, and it's a really interesting question because what we saw from the Bucks, and like you said, uh, Bud's insistence on big boy ball at the expense of fifty threes uh, against the Celtics is, you know, the Cavs are going to have to ask the same question. You know, do you stick with big boy ball or do you make an adjustment? You know, it's a, a, a against the small ball, and it's interesting because you know we, you know, it looks, you know. It looks like from the Dallas series and the Boston series that going small was the answer and not adjusting and, and fighting fire with fire was the doom of uh, both uh, Phoenix and um, Milwaukee. Well, I, I, you know, to be fair a little bit, uh, Brooke Lopez is 34 years old coming off a season sure. oh, that yeah. he was mostly yeah. injured. like. You know, Prime Sharon Allen and Alan Mobley or uh, Evan Mobley are n- are so much more agile than you know Brooke Lopez. They're, they they are the guys you yeah. want to be in switches and you know defend in space as well as be rim protectors. They're like these next level super Swiss Army knife defensive players. So I I don't think that's a fair comparison. I also think the other. Big reason that you saw Milwaukee lose was that that Chris Middleton injury just killed their second scoring, uh, broke up their ability to go small 
because they just didn't have enough quality personnel to play Giannis at the five down the stretch. But I also think Bud should have nailed uh, Lopez's butt to the pine and rode with whatever other options he could come up with because they were just destroying Lopez. I just I just saw it for the last two games and I was like, why is he playing this guy this many minutes? They're just hunting <laughs> hunting him on defense. So Well, let me let me come to the defense of uh Brooke Lopez a little bit here. Because and I could be wrong, I would love if someone uh proved me wrong because I would learn from it. But from what I could see from a little bit of that with Lopez is they were running like a combo defense where they had a lot of uh you know, zone action in the paint and they had uh you know they were getting uh, Grant Williams into that corner, and it was pulling uh, Lopez into that no man's zone, right out, right outside of the paint. There, trying to cover to help, and then also, of course, has the shooter. Now, I think the way that they would plan that is that you let Grant Williams make, you know, take those shots because he's not that great at them. And uh, my man came out and scored twenty seven points in that game, in Game Seven. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, in that situation, and I thought throughout the rest of the series, Lopez played pretty well for for where he's at in his career. Um, and I don't know how they were going to try to fill all of those minutes um, without really losing a lot on offense. So I, I think that was a tough, a bit of a roster situation there. Um, well, I bet I too. I will take the counterpoint as Bobby Portis played twenty two minutes, was two or three from three. Uh, with six boards and 10 points and minus nine, but compared to Brooke Lopez's minus 20 in 37 minutes, it really felt to me like those should have been reversed. Um, I did not understand why Bobby Portis and, and fouls may have had something to do with it, but I thought Bobby Portis should have got a lot more minutes than he did. And it, similarly, Grayson Allen, despite the fact that he wasn't shooting well. Do you think Portis could have banged with Williams? Uh, if Williams had not been, you know, in the corner, because I think that's what their counter would be. I'd have to watch the. Oh, Grant Williams. Again. Yeah, he can bang with Grant Williams. Grant Williams is not super tall. He only had six boards in 40 minutes. It's not like yeah. he's a guy that's just going to bowl you over. Um, he's a big, he's a big guy. He's a he's big, a big guy, 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 but he's a big guy. Yeah. But so is Bobby Portis. So yeah, you know, Frodo eyes don't, don't play. So, <laughs> Anyway. He's incredible. I, I really enjoyed him. <laughs> yeah, no, I love. Yeah, Portis minutes have been pretty rad. Yeah, no, I like Portis, and he he's been great in Milwaukee. But yeah, but that was Boston's game. I mean, they they just kind of had an avalanche too, and it and it was shooting. I mean, they shot forty percent from three, and the Bucks shot twelve. <laughs> so on like no attempts too. Uh, yeah. Know, well, no, they had a lot of attempts. They had 33 attempts. It was oh, four at 33. They were pouring it in late then. I think well, that's true, too. Yeah, 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 it's still yeah. low, too. 33 Very is, few. I think, would rank in the bottom 10. Yeah. But, I mean, clearly they missed Middleton. Um, For sure. And there was a lot of people that thought that if uh, uh, Booker had been healthy early in that Phoenix series, then Phoenix would have won that. But, you know, Dallas got better as they got more confidence. So, and... And I kind of want to wait till after the break to talk about the the Phoenix Game 7, but that was just one of the most bizarre Game 7s I've ever seen. Um, I, I don't know how much of that got, that you guys caught. 
Uh, oh, I mean, that's what's been on fire on Twitter for the past 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was able to catch it. It was nuts. It, it was like, yeah. And and I I do kind of want to wait till we get out, out, get to the break. So, you know, anything else you guys notice from Milwaukee and Boston? I mean, is I guess the question I'll ask you guys is Boston set up for a long term run? Um. Ah, well, to me, the I mean, answer is yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, with Boston, what's interesting is going back to what's what's funny about what's funny about Boston is how they responded to that game five loss. That's they, and this is a credit to probably Ime Udoka, who's getting the job done, and I think he's a better coach already than. President Stevens, like President Stevens, made the right move hiring, leaving, uh, leaving the boys off the bench and and hiring Ime Adaka because the way they responded after losing Game Five and it was a game that they just literally choked on. You know, I mean, they had the lead; they probably had like a ten dot ten point lead till pretty late in the game, and then they just pissed it all away and and lost the game on some heroics. Um, the the way they responded in game 6 was so impressive and what was interesting is that what what was what they recognized i think in game 6 and game 7 from the Celtics point of view is they were the better team i mean you know it sucks that middleton was out and middleton would absolutely made a difference but without middleton the bucks were just not going to be able to compete with boston over a seven game series i mean they they did compete actually but i mean like the wheels falling off at the end was somewhat to me. It was, I expected, I mean, like, you know, you know me, like I'll, I'll stomp on the Nets grave real quick. One more time, you know, screw the Nets, you know, you got swept. Boston's one of the best teams in this thing. I think Boston can win it all. And, uh, the move for Derek white, how about Derek white as an acquisition? Who gives a shit about that 2028 pick or whatever? Because they're now on the brink of the finals, and he was instrumental uh, in that game seven win. He's been instrumental. He was instrumental in that uh, series, just with his perimeter defense and his ability to play make a little bit. Uh, you know, in spots where Tatum doesn't. So, um, just uh, all around such, impressive. Uh, he's Go such ahead. a willing passer. Yeah, um, yeah, and and almost an overpasser. To a fault. Right? Yeah, to a fault. I'd say. Well, one of the can, things I love about him is he is not a home run passer. Like he will just make the obvious next pass or or the non-obvious next pass just over and over and over and the ball just moves. You yeah. Know? Yeah. He's uh you know uh, I you know and I always go back to that because I wonder if it was Kobe not being willing to part with those two for two uh both of the second round picks um that prevented securing his services but who knows with that yeah who knows and um i i also have to think that ime udoka having been around Derek white in um oh good point yeah i i mean and, and here's the thing that dude was plus 10 um and he was one four ten, so he ha- had an impact despite a, a subpar shooting game and then of course if if Peyton Pritchard is saying, this is what I do in the fourth quarter. You are you are seriously in trouble as a team. <laughs> no, he's a bad man. Don't disrespect fast pee-pee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, Go Ducks. Go Ducks. Yeah, and, and I kind of want to preview, you know, later on in the podcast, preview these these next two rounds. But 
after the break, I want to talk about Game 7 in Phoenix and kind of what it means for the league at large. But I will say, you know, that 2019 draft coming up big again, you had Grant Williams. I mean, that was a super deep draft. Uh, yet another guy that uh, is a later pick, you know, uh, Brandon Clark, who I loved and then flamed out, and uh, um, Jordan Poole and, uh, you know, Matisse Thibel, all these guys from that 2019 draft playing big minutes in this uh, in this playoffs and having big roles. So it's, it's cool to see uh, what a deep draft that was. And uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about uh, – Phoenix getting shellacked in Game 7. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. Nate Smith, Chris Francis, Chris Lydon. That was a beatdown yesterday. Uh, have, have either of you guys ever seen a team just completely not show up in a Game 7 on the level that Phoenix did? Because I haven't. I, I don't remember ever seeing that. No, it's – there's no – I can't think of any meltdown. I mean, I have no memory, so but I can't think of any meltdown like that. Somebody somebody tossed out like to me actually the the meltdown that it kind of reminded me of was um the Lakers. Like when when Kobe and Shaq and Phil uh the last was that two was that the 2004 Pistons or was that uh Boston? Um but like it, like the end of it was Kobe ball hogging and shooting, uh, shooting the Lakers out of it, and uh, Shaq being extremely pissed and getting traded the next. Two, so I think it was two thousand four. So that's the only thing that comes to mind about that kind of meltdown, where it's just like obvious they just quit. You know? Yeah. the The crazy thing to me was they came out with a completely just lunatic game plan of let's have Jay Crowder just chuck up really terrible shots. And Devin Booker took one shot in the first half, I think, or had one field goal in the first half, something like that. I mean, it was insane. Like they weren't running plays for their best offensive player. And he was a mind-numbing minus 41 in that game. Um, Well, I don't know if you got part of – Part of uh, the Twitter craze over the past 24 hours has been um, with respect to Booker is that uh, Booker was getting the adjustment that the Mavericks made was they started double teaming Booker at all costs. They started giving him the KD treatment that Boston gave gave KD in the the Nets and uh, Booker just can't he can't handle reading a double team. And what was funny is that there's a clip apparently of a workout with Devin Booker uh, and Joke- Joakim Noah, Joakim Noah, and they were doubling him in like LA Fitness pickup games or something. And Booker was like uh, whining about Noah, uh, Noah, and other guys double teaming him, and he got roasted today. <laughs> Uh, this video got you know this video made the rounds today because he was getting roasted because is apparently you know Devin Booker doesn't like to work on double teams is is apparently the answer to why he only took one shot in the first half and doesn't know how to pass his way out of a wet paper bag when he sees two defenders. Yeah, it it was crazy, and it just felt like they took away everything that uh, you know Phoenix does well. Chris Paul. I mean, obviously, 
They figured out how to hem him in. Uh, they, DeAndre Ayton didn't even play, but 17 minutes, uh, a ton of speculation on what's going on there and kind of the weird um, snubbing of DeAndre Ayton by uh, by the coach. Um, I can't even remember his name, Monty Williams, after, after the game. And I, I think the comment around that was um, – why didn't uh, Aiton play in the fourth quarter? And was there something going on in there? That, that, that the, we're keeping that internal, and it was like it was very odd. The whole thing, oh yeah, was super bizarre. And you had this like weird storm of Phoenix just completely psyching themselves out of the game, and uh, the avalanche happening on the other side of the ball where they just couldn't miss. What were you going to say, Chris? Oh, just that, yeah, there's there are some mysterious elements to it, but there are also some very simple elements to it. Um, I love defense. I love the X's and O's of defense. I'm not an expert, but that's what I watch, especially when I'm watching a, a team that's not the Cavs. Um, when I was covering college ball, it was the same thing. I was just I try to learn as much as I can about what's going on in the defensive end, and that was a beautiful beautiful team defense performance from the maps. I didn't think they had it in them. <laughs> I mean, so what were they doing from a scheme point as well as an execution point? So well, yeah, execution was per. I mean, execution wise, it was just perfect. I mean, it, you see it all the time when a switch doesn't like a switch even happens correctly, but it's just a little slow. And in the NBA at this level, the, you know, Devin Booker gets his shot off. Boom. It's a three and you're jogging down to the other side of the court. You know, it happens so quickly in those games. And so not only did they have, they were making the right choice and they were making the right choice on those switches on the perimeter, excuse me, but they were um, executing at a really high level. It was just very fast. The team had a ton of energy. Uh, they did not seem tired um, and they were just making really good choices. So they were doing an interesting thing. Like there was an sort of an offensive like rip action where they were trying to, you know, like take uh, Chris Paul or Devin Booker off of a screen. And then there'd be like maybe a second screen action happening on the other side of the court. Um, and then just kind of trying to, to play like a, a sort of modified pick and roll out of that where uh, the, the center has to make another read as to whether they roll or not off of the action. And, uh, and then they were, they were just running a pin on that every time. Like you said, they were doubling Booker um, and they were doubling him at different times. Um, I saw a video that had a little bit of audio from uh, Jason Kidd. Um, and, uh, I think he was just calling him live when to pin and when to stay home. You can hear him in that clip. Um, and he's yelling, you know, stay home, stay home, stay home, pin, 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 stay home. Oh yeah. I saw that. Yeah. And, and so in that case, I think what's happening there is they're just playing like a very, like they're basically switching, uh, switching is the wrong word to use cause they are doing switching as well, but they're, 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 uh, oscillating between, um, you know, playing perimeter help, like almost a zone or like a hybrid zone. Um, on the perimeter or matchup zone, yeah, and but that, also and, they were pre-switching too. Yeah, but and then they weren't sagging off of those switches right. at all either. So, so they're and that's where that pin action comes in because there's uh, you you want to have a player that's going to be uh, basically in between the 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 uh, screen action and then where you think the action is going after the screen, right? So back off the screen, and that player is making a, a decision or the coach is screaming at him to make the decision. Uh, of whether to stay home or to 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 come off of it and pin uh, the ball handler uh, off of the screen or behind the screen, um, and they just kind of did it 
perfectly every time, um, especially in the beginning of the game. And then by the halfway through the second quarter, the second simple thing happened, which is that uh, the Mavs were playing lights out. I mean, this is a, this is a game in which Spencer Dinwiddie had 30 points in 25 minutes. He was um, insane. Insane. And so they were just lights out on offense. They were playing great defense. And then the Suns started missing shots, and they started missing enough shots that it got weird. It got in their heads that they were missing so many shots. Um, and then, boom, you look up, and uh, you know the half is coming to an end, and you've got 22 points. Um, and, and I think from that point on, you get into the, the mystery part of it. Um, I know there were some words um, exchanged um, reportedly uh, between um, uh, Aiden and uh, Coach. And uh, I don't know um, if that's what you were referring to earlier about the uh, that's between us thing. I think that was actually about Booker. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm not not sure. I, yeah. I just caught some of this in passing. So. No, I, it was about Aiden. Okay. It was about it was about, okay. it yeah, was about said, Let's keep it in house. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, he benched him for not playing well. Um, he had uh, completely botched a, a read the play before that. Um, I looked back and saw before he got benched and he just uh, got caught in no man's land, decided not to help or uh, to try to break out. And then uh, somebody caught the ball in the corner. He didn't close out on them, uh, you know, uh, whistle and he's out. Um, I, I it, So the mystery for that, I, I feel like there might have been some locker room stuff. Some, I mean, it's it's hard to speculate, but I don't, it's fun to speculate. So I'm going to do it anyways. Um, and it seemed like there was some locker room chemistry contract issue going on um maybe behind the scenes that was uh that didn't cause them to play poorly but once they started playing poorly it didn't seem like they had a lot of morale to fall back on to rally uh they they quit pretty quick uh, well and just it's fascinating to me because this has been something that has happened to literally every single Chris Paul team ever except for you know maybe that Thunder team, but he they, they were overachievers anyway. Like every Chris Paul team kind of falls apart like this. Um and and maybe the answer is that he is so intense and so kind of driven that you know he kind of loses the trust of his teammates. I don't know. I mean, I'm totally speculating, but you know, you saw it in Houston. You, you know, that collapse was very reminiscent of that Houston game where they missed something like 20 straight threes um, when when he was playing with Harden. Uh, and you looked at L.A. when that whole situation fell apart. And obviously, you know, when he was in New Orleans, it was, you know, they were trading him for money because George Sin couldn't afford to pay him and the league was running the team. But, I mean, the whole – he's had a very weird career and he is kind of yeah. worn out his welcome – from an intensity and locker room standpoint, most places well, he's gone. The slander now is that he's just overrated. He's just flat out overrated. And they were they were in Phoenix in general were just effort and depth and health merchants throughout the whole season. You know, and, and it's hard to refute it if you go in and look at the numbers, you know, when there's a serious cap to their team because you know, Chris Paul is 37 years old and has never been really an elite scorer, you know, and Devin Booker has never been an elite playmaker. You know, he's just been a pure scorer that's been, you know, uh, uh, wishy-washy on defense. So I think it's funny, like, I guess, you know, it's weird because 
there's a lot of people that want to dance on the grave and say, oh, I knew these guys were frauds or whatever. Um, I'm not I one. I, I yeah. had them picked for the finals, so. Right, right. And, and me neither. I mean, I think it's just more of an issue of, I, I'm actually totally, you know, I'm totally in with you, Nate, in terms of there is something effed up going on behind the scenes. The 24 hours has been insane. Like, the, what was interesting is literally right after the game, it was reported, and this is just total rumor mongering and salaciousness and just gossip, but like, it was reported that Devin Booker and his girlfriend, the Kardashian curse, they're, I guess it's, she's not a Kardashian, but she's related. They Kendall, broke up. Kendall Banner. Yeah. 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 They broke up apparently just like, I guess, very recently. The report drops literally right as the, as the whistle blows. Apparently, this, this stuff comes out on social media about this. So, like, I guess he's having personal problems. Uh, and, and then, uh, like, uh, with Aiton, going back to what Chris was talking about, like, Oh, the whole contract situation. Exactly. Wodge, apparently, like right after the game, Wodge is basically reading a statement from Aiton's agent saying that uh, Aiton was disrespected and basically, you know, they don't want to pay him or whatever. They don't want to stand behind him. And so he's like, F it, I'm out of here. And then he scored and he scored five points. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. There was a crazy like. like, Yeah. But why would you want to pay a guy like that? (laughs) <laughs> I know. Well, that's the, there's the rumor. Okay, so the rumor about Aiton is that he's addicted to video games like Ben Simmons. They they both got gamer back and they like the rumor <laughs> the rumor was is that with Aiton, he like sleeps 3 hours a night cuz he's addicted to gaming. And like it's much the same rumor about Ben Simmons supposedly. So uh so there's this all this stuff like all the mud slinging's coming out uh as far as Aiton's concerned and uh and then uh this morning you know you have Pat Beverly apparently everybody's making a huge to do about Pat Beverly cuz he flew across country to ESPN studios to sit down for 2 hours and talk crap oh, about beautiful Chris beautiful Paul. slander <laughs> I loved every minute of it. It was, it was fantastic television. It's part okay. Of when we come back, all the others. When we come back, I want the highlights. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Two. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. Um, let's just get right into the Chris Paul slander from Patrick Beverly. I I need to hear every word of this. So give it. Well, obviously we don't have two hours. So Chris Chris Francis, give us the highlights. Oh, man. Well, the big one was apparently uh, he was talking with Paul George and apparently, I guess, there's a league-wide consensus that Chris Paul is an overrated player. That it's apparently like none of the guys like him, uh, you know, they Well, that's been apparent for years people don't like him. Oh yeah, yeah, and it, well, I mean, it was just. I think it was. I think it was that names were actually putting. You know, that names were getting. Uh, uh, names were getting um, attached to this. You know, like with uh, with Paul George, for instance, um, and uh, the other here. I'm. I'm actually gonna. Oh man, it was. Uh, sorry, it's hot googling action yet again. <laughs> Yet Talk again. amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. Anderson yes. Varejo. Okay, here's here's a, here's the line. This is the line I wanted to find. I found it. 
So Pat Beverly says on ESPN, quote, Do I go to bed at 10 p.m. the night before playing Chris Paul? Hell no. But if I'm playing Steph Curry tomorrow, I'm going to bed at 8 o'clock, telling my girl not to call me. End quote. Uh, that's so great. Here's the other. Here's another quote. CP can't guard nobody, man. Everybody in the NBA know that. He's a cone. Give him the Ben Simmons slander. That is so. That's, that's that's there. You go. There's the uh, there's the uh, you know the, those were definitely two of the uh, you know home run hitters. You know, shall we say? Well, here's the crazy thing. Isn't he president of the Players Association still? I think so. I think so. <laughs> uh, or unless it's uh... well, and remember that's where part of their beef goes back to is Pat Beverly and uh, oh uh, no, it's CJ McCollum now. Oh, CJ McCollum. Well, remember, well, it was CP3 was the president, right. the, the players' president during the lockout, or not the lockout, yeah, the, the last COVID, CBA, and the, yeah, COVID, the COVID yeah. Uh, situation where Pat Bev was obviously, you know, when the George Floyd thing happened, um, Pat Beverly wanted to do a strike. He wanted to do a, a like a basically a wildcat strike uh, in response and uh, got into beef. Apparently, with Chris Paul and as well as the um, the uh, uh, the um, the liaison, I forget the, the lawyer who runs Michelle who Roberts. Runs. Yes, thank you. Yes, Michelle Roberts. Well, yeah. and and by extension, former President Barack Obama, right. who helped end the Wildcat <laughs> strike talk. So, yeah. So the beef runs deep. Well, and then and then like obviously there was last season, you know, where uh, Chris Paul put forty one on uh, his his ass in uh game six or whatever so it was and great then, too, and then, pat bev was pat bev was like uh uh he was talking and he said uh now you know you guys in the media like they players won't tell you but like he's trash he's trash on defense he's trash on defense he's like uh you know everybody will say it and uh Stephen a is like well they don't tell that to me and he says well that's because they don't talk you know they don't tell you that but I, nobody well, tells him anything he, like, he makes <laughs> everything up <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love Stephen A, but not because he knows or knows right, yeah, because he talks. He, he is bombast in human form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love his, I love his style. But um, no, he uh, he was like, well, I won't name any names. Okay, I will name a name. I I, I, I talked to Paul George, and Paul George thinks he's trash too. It was, just, it was like so funny. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that, that's the thing about. I mean, I think the book is out on that with with. Uh, Chris Paul. I mean, if you look at how teams were playing him, they were making him work on both ends of the of the floor. Yeah, and then by game three and like every series for the last three years, the guy was toast. Well, right, or he, you know, for ten years before that, he would get hurt. Well, that's the that's the rumor now. Well, and that was part of the Pat Bev thing too. Was Pat Bev said that he's faking an injury, like. He, he literally oh, said... Oh, that injury that knocked him out of part of the season was just fake? No, 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 no. Uh, that Chris Paul apparently is... Cla- or somebody's oh, claiming... Oh, the quad or the injury? Claiming. Yeah, there's a quad injury. That's the reason why he flopped in Game 7. And uh, Pat Bev went on Twitter and said, watch Chris Paul fake a, a, a injury report after the game. Like, and he so limped, after like literally it happened, you know what I mean? So everybody got yeah. a rise out of I that. heard he, I heard he limped out of the arena or limped right. out of his press uh, after right. that game as well. I, I mean, I think, I mean, but he could also be hurt. I mean, he's that old. Yeah. <laughs> like well, either exactly. way, it sucks. Exactly. He's yeah. 37. <laughs> exactly. 
which is yeah. uh, which is very young and vibrant uh, for the record. I will say, yeah. so, for the NBA, maybe not so. So much. already the rumors are that uh, they're talking Russ for Chris Paul, which doesn't make any sense from a salary standpoint for me. I, it doesn't. I, I'm not sure how Phoenix could even do that. No, I think um, they're stuck with him. Yeah, yeah. Phoenix has locked in for two more years, not just one. That's I think Phoenix. I think most of the money is next year, though, right? No, he's um, guaranteed fifteen in the following. Wow. Yeah, but isn't it like twenty seven or something? Yeah, like that? yeah. But it's, I mean, it's not year, like yeah. fifteen is in no, no, no. But it's it's down from yeah. a huge amount. Yeah. I oh, mean, well, no, no. He signed. No, he signed for twenty eight point four next year. He signed for thirty point eight the next year after that. Yeah, no but way. it's only half guaranteed. Okay. I'm saying it's fully guaranteed. There's a non-guaranteed net. The, the age 39 season is non Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's fully guaranteed after uh, June 20. They have to make a decision about the second year yeah. uh, by June. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it and is, it, but 15 million of it is guaranteed. Yes. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, sorry, it's, sorry these that. are rough numbers. No, no, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Names you know, you escape had, I, me, I but I never forget a contract <laughs> or a meal. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's it's fascinating, and you know. So, what just, do you guys think? Are, do you think they're blowing it up? Like, who do you like? What do you think? Uh, what, what, what where do you think this is going? Where do you? Think I this is certainly going? think they will entertain offers for Aiden. Um, is CP three gone, or is he there? You, you, is there a consensus here that he's there? He's stuck there next year. Um, I don't know. I, I yeah, don't know. I can't see how he wouldn't be. Well, there's certainly places I could see him go, and the Lakers, uh, <laughs> New York. Man, who's going to match that though? I mean, well, I mean, Russell Westbrook makes that an easy, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I saw that going around. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't hate it, but I just don't, you know. Yeah. You know, right, right, right. I, I think that goes bad for both teams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I could see a team like the Knicks. He'd make a lot of sense for for a team that, you know, needs a floor general and that kind of thing. I could see him going to – um. Should they trade him? Do you think it's a Do you think it's a good move to trade him? Do you think would you like if you're the Suns? Do you think it's a good move? I think they've got to do something, um, and they can't trade their owner. So, <laughs> uh, I I think the more likely guy to be gone is Aiton, just from oh yeah. The well, there, I don't know if you guys saw the stats out. or whatever, but Sarver apparently has not paid the tax in over a decade, and I don't think yeah. he's about to start now. Yeah, yeah, he's well, under investigation too, isn't he, Sarver? Still, I think so. Yeah, and maybe, maybe that's oh, a, maybe they can trade the owner. Well, that was actually. Oh no, yeah, it's funny you, you. It's funny you mentioned that, Chris, because that was a rumor too that 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 the players had caught wind that something's about to drop with the investigation. But I mean, obviously, that's like everybody's grasping at straws to to make sense of it. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing to me that's just so crazy is how. Quickly, things can change in the NBA, and it's 24 hours. Like, that's how fast. <laughs> it's a different yeah. thing. It's the playoffs. I mean, this team won yeah. 62 games. I looked at this team during the regular season. I caught a couple games, and I thought, well, they're going to win the championship. Yeah. I mean, everything was going so well for them. Yeah. And uh, even knowing that there's been these struggles that uh, Chris Ball has had in the postseason, you also kind of have that bias where you think, like, 
but this time, this is the time that he's going to put it together. You know, this, you know, he's due or whatever, which is complete nonsense, but it's just the way we think. Um, and then the playoffs are a different beast. And then all of a sudden, uh, this game happens, you know, it doesn't happen that often, but, uh, you know, teams get their butts kicked. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's a game seven when they do. Um, it's usually not this intense. Um, and then it kind of all falls apart, but, but the team was very, I mean, the body of evidence that the team is really good makes it hard to argue for completely blowing it up. It seems like there might be a serious problem between, you know, like the coach and DeAndre Ayton or whatever that might be. Uh, DeAndre Ayton do be out here gaming, though. I'll tell you that much. I took a look into that. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Hot okay. off the press. Intrepid reporter Chris Lydon. Yeah, what do we so, have here? Well, th- I'll, I'll hit you with three things that I can uh, attest to just looking at this. Uh, one, there's a I'll, – I'll start with a sort of a weaker point here. There is a ton of anecdotal evidence of people just – randomly adding him on Twitter or hitting him up on social and asking to play X game and then him being like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Or you look at like, um, hell yeah, he's a man of the people that, that that endears me to him. The virtual people. There's (laughs) these different Reddit, uh, you know, uh, Reddit subreddits for, um, for different video games. And there'll be threads that are just like, uh, Hey, who is uh, the person with this gamer tag? I think that they're an NBA player. And someone would be like, oh, that's DeAndre Ayton. Like, I play with him, like, usually Thursday nights. Like, we'll do a couple rounds on Fortnite together. And it's just, like, some random person. <laughs> like, so he's out there <laughs> among the people gaming, gaming, gaming. He's, he's got, I mean, hundreds going back, hundreds of tweets of just being like, I love this game. You know, who wants to play? Here's, <laughs> Here's my game. He now. is the Wilt Chamberlain of Fortnite, apparently. <laughs> but it's not just Fortnite. It's not just one system. It's Xbox. And, oh, and, he does it all. PlayStation. He, he's like, yeah, he's, a, he's got, deep, he's got deep. major, major numbers on both of those platforms. And then a lot of these public solicitations for people to come chill and play with him have been during uh, off season or during times where he was injured. But there's a very sharp drop off um, around like sort of you know, playoff seasons. It looks like uh, certain parts of the season uh, where it seems like, oh, okay, he goes from playing. Uh, seven to eight hours a day to zero that would make sense because he's locked in and focusing i would uh propose a second uh explanation for that which is that he's using a different account <laughs> to play during those times <laughs> uh, which would also account for the sudden uh ceasing and then sudden kicking back up because uh, what you see looking at this stuff is you see a guy who's gaming an incredibly consistent amount of time every day except for random blocks of time during the season uh, so maybe maybe he is pulling it together, uh, but even then, uh, he would surely miss his uh, enormous investment of time into playing many, many, many games competitively across multiple platforms. And and have you researched uh, Ben Simmons similarly? No, I was just looking at uh, at Mr. Aiden here real quick. <laughs> Interesting. I honestly, I'm surprised this isn't a bigger story. I think it's just tough because so many of these players do play. Yeah. Um, t- Twitch has been huge in, among all sports leagues with professionals. No, yeah, much, but, you know, but, well, and I know that, you know, Jared Allen has right. a reputation as being, you know, a guy that spends a lot yeah, of time gaming. I mean, it's a lot, there, there's a lot of it. And so I think it's, it becomes difficult to speculate about how much of it is, um, well, that's why know, I mean, I don't understand why it's not a bigger story. And, I don't know. Have you guys ever gotten big into gaming? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's I was, fair to say I've been big into gaming. Yeah, yeah. It was more in my twenties, I'd say, and 
it was a thing, you know, it was definitely all consuming for sure. You know, like you, I'd stay up all night, you know, do marathon runs all the time for sure. And, you know, judging by my nephews, like I was definitely not doing numbers like kids do these days. I mean, th- these kids are like putting in 12, 16 hours, like at every waking moment they can. So I don't know about you, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I definitely got into, I was always into like one specific game at a time. And I would get like way too into that game, usually like the most sort of like complicated and uh, crazy MMOs I could find. And then I would stick with them for years and 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 spend way too much time on them. Luckily, I never um, made any choices about that that affected the other things I enjoy in my life. But I could totally see uh, if I was uh, if I had a really if I had the money for a nice gaming rig and I was 22, like it'd be pretty hard to tear me away from that stuff. So. <laughs> I can empathize with that. Well, and and I'll say probably COVID was a factor too because you've got oh, these absolutely. guys who are you know real social, the club scene and all that, and then all of a sudden, okay, you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. Like, what are you going to do? Um, you know, for my and of course, there's rumors of this kind of stuff going back to um, like uh, Tim Duncan on the Spurs. Tim Duncan and Richard Jefferson talked about. I I. I don't know if it was like uh, StarCraft or, you know. Yeah, there's those iconic photos of them setting up lands. And <laughs> yeah, and yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's Well, hell, and even going back to Jordan, you know, he was at the gambling yeah. table for three in the morning. Sure. Yeah. You know? yeah, but especially yeah. with video games. Or, like, or even going back to the beard, he was at the bar till three in the morning, just right, like yeah. last week. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let me say this, which again, it's speculation, but I think it may be an interesting point with that is like, the homies all doing a land party together is as old as time. And yeah, uh, you know, I think that's good. Te- that's good team building. And you're spending time with your friends, especially your teammates. Um, a lot of what these players are into now, I think is so much more public facing it. It becomes part of their brand. A mm-hmm. lot of them have aspirations to be professionals uh, or at least at that level, because they're so good at other things in their lives and they want to yeah. be really good at video games. And so it is both competitive and public facing and it's maybe a little lucrative like not compared to their other revenue streams obviously but for a guy that was diversify when yeah they were 19, diversify your brand and get some sponsorships yeah it. and you're saying oh i can make a couple grand off like a twitch stream like this is rad like even if it's even though i'm a millionaire now a couple grand is still a couple grand and so i think that's where the difference is so it, it becomes less about hanging with your friends and more about running a sort of secondary part of your brand that is not basketball related so I'm not making a judgment on that. I'm just, you know, I think that's that's different than it would have been before. That that was an awesome segment, Chris. And I I want to, you know, take a break here because we're we're at the end of the first hour. But and, and man, there's a lot of food for thought there. So uh, definitely feel like we a follow up, and it, that it should be a bigger story um, because it does seem to be affecting uh, a lot of things in the NBA and probably all sports. And I will say really quick, five days ago, ESPN put out uh, a Maya Jones, a uh, pretty big story about DeAndre Ayton and video games. Um, oh. So, yeah, that just came out on the 12th. And it's okay. all about his obsession with video games. So there is some coverage happening in it. And I, it's definitely cast. I mean, I, I'm skimming the article, but it's definitely cast. It's like a huge positive for him. Interesting. Um, throughout, which I would 100% believe um, that he would, he, he would feel that way. But it's basically... 
about him using it as a way to obviously stay connected during the pandemic, but then also to sort of relax. It's like depression, like, oh. right? Like, he, yeah, exactly. he even said it helped him fight depression. Yeah. So uh, I encourage people to check that out and get his his very well put side of, of the story that's uh, in a very recent article. Interesting. Okay. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the second hour of Cavs, a podcast. I'm Nate Smith. And I am here with Chris Francis and Chris Leiden. And I got a question for you guys. Most important question of the night. Uh, what beer are you drinking? Ooh. Well, actually, I'm not drinking beer. I am drinking yet again. We need a sponsorship, by the way. <laughs> we need a sponsorship. Trace Generaciones Tequila Plata. Well, what do you drink? Um, do you drink South that fan. straight? Or do you yes. drink that on the... Oh, Jesus. I drink it straight. You just warm. sip it straight and just warm. Just sip it. Wow. Straight and warm. That, that, that's, that's the key. I figured out that that's one. the key to liquor here is yes. warm liquor. Now, do you do the, um, what do they call it? The uh, the Kentucky uh, swirler. <laughs> no, it just sounds Ooh. terrible. No, so you take, I can't remember what they call it, but bourbon drinkers do this, where they basically Ooh. take the alcohol or take a drink and they just switch it around in their mouth for like 30 seconds. And it basically numbs your mouth to the taste of the alcohol. So all you taste is the other parts oh, of it. Oh, uh, interesting. I've never which, done that. but Which no, is um, really good for tasting how the spirits taste, but really bad for not getting super duper drunk. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, uh no, I'm in I'm a I'm a businessman with my drinking. Uh <laughs> I you know. Now, and, are you a uh, Don Draper businessman or what does that mean exactly? <laughs> well, what it means is that, you know, I pour a drink and then I drink the drink and it's gone, you know? And then I keep on drinking until I feel pretty good. So, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, and what I was going to say is I do drink with a Coke back. So uh, there is, it's not just. What is a back? Is that like a chaser? Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So Coke back, but uh, yeah, straight uh, straight with a chaser. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, I'm doubling my omeprazole uh, intake just hearing about that. <laughs> okay. So Chris Lydon, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a Brewdog punk ipa session uh which is okay it's pretty good yeah i've had that one i am drinking speaking of brew a brew kettle orange and lemon peel uh summer wheat ale so nice out of out of strongsville so in brew dog the scottish brewers that brew out of columbus right yeah nice roundabouts nice love love wheat ales those are are always refreshing uh, in the summer the reason I get this punk IPA is because it is the best beer that they sell at the United Dairy Farmers walking distance of my house. Nice. So I don't I don't necessarily endorse it, but it's pretty good. I was going <laughs> to say really quick about your warm liquor thing. Uh, very brief story. I found myself out partying with a bunch of international PhD candidates, uh, none of whom were from uh, cultures with a tradition of doing shots. Um, so my friends and I and colleagues were were buying rounds for the for the table of shots. And one of these guys, uh, it was his, his, his turn. So he went in to get around and, uh, not knowing anything about it, he came out with uh, a clear liquid and we, uh, said some cheers and, uh, it was, uh, lukewarm well gin. Oh, oh, what the f- 
and, and I guess like, again, like he just didn't know. You know, we were we were buying like bourbon or whatever. Jameson is usually what I would buy, and you just thought like, oh, I'll go in and uh, I'll ask for a shot, and somehow that became Ooh. well gin. And uh, oh my God. <laughs> wanna, I'm a, I'm a seasoned drinker. And that was one of the more harrowing uh, drinking experiences I've ever had. Yeah, that'll that'll peel the paint right off your esophagus. My God, <laughs> just my God, that, that should be illegal. Plastic bottle I, thing. I you feel know? like that should be illegal. That, that's that's so, someone. Well, we had to be polite, someone needs so to be held accountable for this. I had to pretend it was cool. You know, I didn't want to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, my uh, my cousins did this uh, thing where you. It, it's like. Um, one of those, uh, monthly subscription services, but it's for cocktail mixes. So they send you like enough cocktails to do like a round of craft cocktails and, uh, and they'll do different ones every month and you just have to supply the liquor. So of course they, that sounds interesting. Yeah, no, it's really good. And of course they save them all till we get up there. My (laughs) wife and I, excuse me. Oh, jeez. So it's like. You know, you try on like four or five different cocktails at once, and then after yeah, a while, a they all kind of you blend and together. Have to, share, have to share each one or something. I'm getting yeah. diabetes just listening to this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this uh, <laughs> this episode of Cavs the Podcast brought to you by Betty Ford. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in Cavs news. Um, Speaking of, oh, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Even <laughs> that, was, know. that was awesome. That was, oh, I don't even know if I can do this segue, but obviously some very disturbing uh, rumors of uh, Ray John Rondo brandishing. I think you can say reporting. I think you can say reporting. Reporting, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, fair. It's TMZ, but it's all, but the court documents are all. Yeah, of, of, uh, of him brandishing a weapon at his... Uh, the mother of his children, his longtime girlfriend, which is, uh, you know, a really unfortunate situation. You just got to hope everybody gets help there. Um, I don't think he will be back with the Cavs. I didn't think he would, you know, one of the things I've said on uh, on Twitter is that you can't give J.B. Bickerstaff old vets because he will play them um, <laughs> at the expense of younger players who should play more minutes. Um, and... Yeah, I think we probably, especially with this, seen the last of Ray John Rondo in a Cavs uni. Well, no, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the disconnect that I've seen this offseason in, in in the talk about Ray John Rondo with the Cavs is that um, our um, intrepid reporter, Adam Cathcart, you know, in his article, his, his excellent article about the guards, had mentioned uh, very astutely, made the observation uh, Kobe Altman did not mention the name of Ray John Rondo, I believe, once in a in an hour long press conference. But then you have a press conference done by JB Bickerstaff, and he can't stop raving about Ray John Rondo. So I was confused as to the future status of Ray John Rondo, but I guess this might clear it up. So um, you know, I wasn't expecting him back necessarily. I was expecting. Him to you know, or I, I was expecting the Cavs to look to improve that uh, that uh, that that uh, that spot. But I also thought that you know, th- there's a lot of guys that sung his praises about his veteran leadership, his knowledge of the game, blah blah blah. So I thought you know he was possibly in the running for one of those vet spots. You know, they they like to burn a vet a vet spot for professionalism, but uh, I just you know. 
with this news coming out, it's, you know, it seems like, yeah, hasta la vista. Yeah, he probably wasn't coming back either way. Um, and then, of course, with this, like anything else like this, uh, you know, you think about the, the kids and the wife first and hope that everything works out okay for everybody involved. It did sound like his the parents were involved as well. Um, so hopefully there were more people there than, than just the wife and, and there can be some clarity there and, and everybody can, can get what they need, uh, quickly. But because he's, you know, I mean, it's a rostered player, it becomes a Cavs thing. Uh, but yeah, I don't think he was going back in the first place. And, uh, this doesn't seem to help, uh, the odds at all. So any other Cavs news? Obviously the other news, uh, that we heard today, um, blast from the past, Anderson Verjao representing the Cavs at the uh, NBA draft lottery yeah. tomorrow, which is odd. Uh, I saw a lot of animosity toward him that I didn't really know existed or at least didn't last I, past 2016. Like, I, I, I was really surprised to see it. I don't. I, I think that you and I frequent a corner of uh, Cavs Twitter that is is probably not indicative of the Cavalier uh, attitude, the Cavalier fandom <laughs> attitude as a whole toward Andy. So, so do you think on the whole it's more positive? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what, yeah, what is I'm not to too. like about Andy? I like mean, I said, I was surprised about the negativity. I mean, I knew there'd be some people. There's negativity us. about Andy? Some, yeah, some of my favorite follows in that in that little corner of Cavs, the Cavs universe. I was like kind of shocked to see them come out heavy. Like, you know, he's a scumbag. Get him out of here. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, what? Yeah. Is it? That's on him. Like he made he made his choice in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> what? You know, no, they they traded him and cut him. <laughs> yeah, that was not a stab stab you in the back. E two brute type of situation. Yeah, here. that was. Uh, he helped us just like just <laughs> like Nate always yeah. alleges. <laughs> I mean, do these maybe these are younger people? I don't know. Like I I certainly watched yeah. a huge amount of basketball. Where Andy was the most exciting feature of the offense. For oh yeah, stretches, and I, and, you know, like he was just so dynamic. I, I, I urge people that didn't watch a ton of it to go back and look at some of his best seasons. And uh, no, and he, he was obviously just an incredibly fun and animated uh, player, and like a very fun and funny interview all the time. Yeah, no, I, there's nothing not to love about Andy. I honestly think that he will get his number retired by the Cavs um, because he was literally the best player on the Cavs for, you know, two or three seasons, obviously a little bit injury marred, but uh, also did, did receive, I don't know if he ever re- accepted his championship ring, but uh, they made not, one for him. I'm sure yeah, he, he did not. I'm sure he accepted it in secret, along with the secret handshake from LeBron for uh, <laughs> for his uh, double agency. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. I think it's it's a winning idea to go after fan favorites from previous eras. Obviously, yeah, and we're at the point now. It's 2022. It's been a long time. Yeah, Andy. Andy is a part of a different era of Cavs basketball. Um, and well, and really let's be honest, sport. the second best Cavs team of all time um, is, I mean, after obviously the 2015 to 20, you know, 19 run of finals appearances is that 2007 Cavs team. And Andy was a critical part of that. You know, you had Andy and Z and Mo, And uh, so, yeah, it was Danielle Marshall. I mean, I feel like next year's 15th anniversary, it might be time to honor that team. Oh, yeah, for well, sure. Well, there's a, a precursor to that. 
Yeah. Well, just speaking of now that you mentioned it, the LeBron twenty five point game happened today. This this point, whenever uh, two thousand seven, so fifteen yeah. fifteen years ago today, was the twenty five point LeBron overtime. Twenty five points in a row. Yeah. Right. Oh exactly. My God, yeah, that was yeah. insane. Also, so, I mean, uh, Delonte West is playing for the what is it called? The Big Three. The, the Big Three. Good for Delonte, so he, man. He could be back. He could be back in the mix for. I so well, hope. Right? I so hope uh, he has his life turned around because things were oh, pretty yeah, dark man. there for a while for him. And that'd be awesome. Favorite. Oh, absolutely. And how can you not root for a guy that so clearly has struggled with mental health and addiction issues? You want yeah. a guy to do well. That I don't know why. And there's very few guys in Cavs history that I actively root against. I mean, how I don't I don't know how you could be anti a lot of these guys in Cavs history. Every couple of years, my mother, who is in her you know mid seventies now, uh, has asked me about Delonte West, like if I knew anything about him, if he was doing okay. It just shows how like deeply he resonated with so many people in Cleveland from then. Yeah, no, that's awesome, and. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. Um, actually, one second. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast, Mark Two. I just tried to come back, and and my beer caught up with me. Um, <laughs> but uh, we we're gonna talk. I, I had a question for you guys, and you know, given obviously we saw the Chris Fedor tweet today that was a, a little odd uh, in talking about how. The Mavs had, you know, Luka Doncic and Brunson, Jalen Brunson and um, Spencer Dinwiddie and talking about how that you can never have too many playmakers. And then, you know, the Cavs had Karis LeVert and uh, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. And obviously some of us uh, were a little like uh, some of these things are not like the others (laughs) when it comes to the quality and also stature of the players involved. So I was a little dubious of that, but it did kind of give us a good segue into, you know, for the playoffs, uh, what kind of lessons I would say, both in terms of roster construction and what we're seeing on the court uh, from the playoffs so far, uh, should the Cavs be taking uh, from this 2022 postseason? And I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Chris Francis. Thank you. Uh, I think there's two things I want to say with respect to what the Cavs should take away. I think one of the first things, and I mentioned this to, you know, everybody in the group chat was 16 game players, having guys that don't get played off the court in the playoffs is obviously the next challenge for the Cavs. And we kind of got a glimpse of that in the play in scenarios with Atlanta and with Brooklyn, is that there were clearly guys that could hang in that situation, and then there were clearly guys that were just 82-game players, regular season players, that you can that you could run out there for 82 games, but they're not going to be able to survive in the playoffs. They're going to get played off in the playoffs. And, you know, I think the lesson from at least Atlanta, in my perspective, is that we have probably five guys on the roster right now that are 16 game players. And that would be the starting lineup. That's Darius Garland, Karis LeVert, uh, Laurie Markkinen, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. Beyond that, there's not really anybody that you could say 
is a 16 game player, unfortunately. And so I think that's one of the big takeaways for me, uh, in, in the playoffs right now. The second thing is, and it kind of goes to Chris Fedor's kind of messy or ill considered point, I guess. I don't know how to phrase it exactly, but there is something to be said about who's the secondary playmaker. That's, that's what's defining these playoffs right now. If you, if we go through the four teams that we have in the playoffs right now, we got, Four primary playmakers. We got Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Luka Doncic, Steph Curry. Those are the four stars that are that these guys have, that these teams have. What's interesting is that if you go and see who are the second star, who's the second option on offense with all these teams? And what I find curious is that the best second options are the guy are the teams that are now actually advancing. And what's interesting is who are the second option guys for these teams? We've got Spencer Dinwiddie, who we mentioned earlier. We got Jalen Brunson, who we mentioned earlier. Jordan Poole, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, um, Tyler Hero. Draymond. Who, yeah, Draymond. Yeah. There's what's what's interesting and what I'm fascinated by from the playoffs going forward is who Jalen Brown. Sorry, I forgot one of the one of the best ones in, in for the Celtics. What's interesting to me is who's going to step up besides the stars. We know the stars are going to be there. We know the stars are going to produce their 40 points, their highlight moments, yada, yada, yada. And it kind of goes to your point earlier, uh, Nate, about building a, a, a team, an actual team that works together and becomes greater than the sum of their parts. And I think when you look at the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh guy on the roster, you know, that's that's where these teams have kind of, you know, the teams that we're talking about in the conference finalists, they all have, they're all seven to eight deep with 16 game players. And they have second options, legitimate offensive second options on their team. So, you know, those are the two takeaways I have is who's your second option for the Cavs? Is it, you know, like, like Chris was saying, is it, is it Sexton? Is it Lavert? You know, what what we know now is that so far there's those two guys are unproven really except for I guess Lavert has a leg up in the sense that if you go back and look at his stats um, in in the playoffs he has actually pretty impressive numbers in the playoffs he's a twenty five and five guy I think or a twenty five and nine guy uh, just insane really surprisingly good numbers in the playoffs um, with Brooklyn so um, I actually you know. If there's a if there's a soapbox I'm going to get on tonight is watch out for Karis Levert next season. I'm hopping on hop on the bandwagon for Karis Levert this offseason. I think that he's hey, going well, to gotta, show something. You got to catch out on the side, man, because I'm already we're already pulling out of the station. Ooh, ooh, are you serious? Oh, Chris! Oh my gosh! Lay it on us! Come on, man! What do you got? <laughs> well, I'll get there. In a let me let me just. That's all right. Thank you, Dade. All right. <laughs> well, let, let me open with this and I'll get right back to him. Um, what, what, we're, what we've learned from the playoffs thus far is that the uh, Cavs aren't yet a contender, right? For a lot of the reasons <laughs> that you just, you just very excellently laid out. Um, what that tells me is that they're still building. They're a building team. Um, it seems like they're so young that they couldn't possibly be building, but just to what you just said, excuse me, there's, there's like, you know, if you're, if you're talking about four ish guys, uh, five-ish guys that you think can really go that 16-game distance, then you're still building because you're trying to build around those guys that you do have. Um, Fedor uh, reported that the Cavs were really excited to see that uh, 
starting lineup uh, eventually healthy that would include, um, so you'd have, it would be Allen, Mobley, uh, Rory, Levert, and Garland. And they only ended up with something like 30 minutes of that lineup. Um, yeah, some of which came play. in the pl- in the play-in game, and 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 it's a tiny sample size, but they looked they they looked and performed really well um, in that in that play-in. Um, so that tells me that um, they think that he, you know, they brought him here because he could be that 16, right? Like heading into the playoffs, thinking about going into the playoffs this season and being short, they brought in a guy who they think can be that guy. Um, that tells me that okay, so now you're tra- talking about building out beyond the starting five. Um, then you're looking at, okay, can we continue to develop Isaac Okoro into being one of those guys? Can we develop and and somehow retain Sexton in some sort of a, a role like that? Um, and now you're getting a little bit closer, right? Now you're just looking at a few more guys uh, that can round that out. Um, but yeah, we saw a lot of teams where there was just like a couple not great players that got 20, you know, 25 minutes and really, really hurt their team. So it's a great point. And for me... Um, the takeaway for me is just how good the coaching is in the playoffs. Like you identify your weakness, you exploit it immediately. You identify a strength. You keep going back to that, both on the offensive side and the defensive side. And if you have a flaw in the playoffs, people will absolutely just expose it over and over. And, I think what's really telling for the Cavs is that they got knocked out by an Atlanta team that basically took one game off Miami. And Miami executed the game plan that the Cavs should have executed, which was, you know, absolutely punish Trey Young every time on defense. You know, make Trey Young play defense the same way that you play Chris Paul. Um, And the Cavs, you know, struggle to do that. And I think that's one of the places the Cavs need to look at their coaching staff and say, hey, do we need to bring in a offensive mind that's going to be, you know, more dynamic than what we have right now? Because it they definitely struggled at times on offense and have struggled with things like set plays and out of bounds plays and all that kind of stuff. And clearly, you know, JB Bickerstaff has a great mind for defense and kind of understands defensive matchups. But I also feel like he says, Hey, our offense is our defense and leaves points on the, on the floor that should be on the scoreboard. Um, So that's one thing where I think this, uh, playoffs is really telling for me in terms of what uh, what the Cavs need to do. And I, I would say the other thing is exactly what you were saying, Chris, is having these guys that are 16-game players. Uh, to me, the evaluation of a player is always, am I going to hemorrhage points when this guy is on the floor against a good playoff team? And yeah, like you said, the Cavs have five guys right now. We need to find out who those other guys are. And if those guys aren't on the roster and they need to bring them in. So, No, I want to piggyback off of your point about coaching. That's an excellent point because I think the acuteness at which teams are attacking weaknesses now is is elevated compared to what it was a decade ago or two decades ago with the with the advent of stats and advanced metrics and, and tracking and data tracking and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if you saw the crazy-ass stat about Chris Paul, but like, I guess 
Chris Paul was put in pick and roll situations as a defender more in that in that series against Dallas than at any other time in his career. Wow, uh, that's crazy. J- insane. I mean, like they were literally they attacked him in the pick and roll 20 times a game, like nearly 20 times a game. Like it was like 15, 20 times a game. It was insane. Like the dedication and the focus to execute the game plan. And I a hundred percent agree with you is that that's what, that's what the playoffs show us, you know, is who are the disciplined teams that are all working together and are focused and are executing, you know, and, and, you know, to that end, you know, it's hard to, you know, I, I, I'm curious to who you guys got now at this at this stage with the Final Four. You know, like to me, the two best teams are honestly have been Miami and Boston, but they're going to eliminate each other. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think, you know, out of the Final Four, who you guys got. Well, it's really interesting because the two best teams are Miami and Boston, but the best player might be Luka. Exactly. Yeah, I <laughs> totally know? agree. And in the NBA, the best player often trumps the best team when they're close. Um, And that game, you know, game seven by Luka was otherworldly. I mean, he was just draining every shot. I mean, he looked looked like Larry Bird and LeBron had a kid. (laughs) He did. I mean, he just, like, just did anything he wanted. Um it, it it was crazy and i mean super fun to watch uh golden state i i'll be interested to see how that series plays out um i think they have a better top to bottom team but i think luka's a better player and i think the the maps have also all also played more cohesive as a team i think they're 44 and 17 uh, you know, since like April or since like February or something like that. And I mean, since it was probably post KP trade, isn't it? Yeah, funny how that trade KP, deadline. Yeah. yeah, isn't it funny how KP getting rid of KP is like unleashed this? You know, and I, and I I panned the trade at the time, and clearly they knew something the rest of us didn't. That a KP was kind of a cancer on that team. B they needed a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, you know, and I, I heard somebody say, you know, Spencer Denwitty is one of these guys that has one good game in three and still shoots, you know, 32% from three. And I go, well, you know, in a seven game series, you need guys like that. You need mm-hmm. high variability guys that are going to win you a game or two. Cool. Uh, and when they're not on, you just put them on the bench yeah. and, and just getting that guy off the team and, and adding Dinwiddie was such a huge move for them. It's huge. I mean, if, uh, going back to the stats a little bit with Dinwiddie, he's one of their best playmakers. He's basically run, and he's basically creating plays whenever Luca is not. So it, it, right. that's, that, he's well, he's, and he's back he's to he's back to Brooklyn Spencer Dinwiddie. Yes, sir. That's right. Um, and he was a really good player in Brooklyn. Um, and maybe what helped Spencer Dinwiddie is is crypto crash. I'm glad you brought that up. There's been a running joke. Okay, so shout out to NBA Twitter. It's that a shout out to Fraudball Chat. Uh, There's been a running joke in our chat about uh, Dinwiddie's performance uh, completely aligning with the price of Bitcoin. And (laughs) the joke, the joke now is that now that it has crashed down to zero, he's come to accept his losses, and now that's what caused the Game Seven breakout. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that's hilarious. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. My oh, and oh, there was another thing man. was that, sorry to interrupt Chris, but there was another thing was that apparently Dinwiddie is in line for a half a million dollar bonus because they reached the conference finals. So that, that was another thing. He lost his money in crypto, but gained it back, gained a half million back on that game seven. Is, is, are they paying him in crypto? Yes, they are. Well, that's I mean, the that's thing. the no, other right. funny thing yeah, is, that is Cuban is a total crypto bro. So. You're right, you're right. What are you saying? Yeah, I agree. What are oh, you saying, I was Chris? just saying he played, he, played, he played his butt off. He had an amazing game. Uh, motivation aside, uh, it was incredible. I, I, don't, I yeah. don't know if that can keep going. Um, are, are, can I do my prediction real quick? Is this oh, yeah. Let's hear it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm back and forth on this because my predictions coming into the playoffs were turned out to be utter garbage. I lost all of my uh, all of my credibility. But, I mean, it's a crapshoot for everybody. Um, there's a lot of vibes that I feel around the Celtics this year, man. Um, there, It seems like there might be something special there in the synergy of those, of those guys, finally, and the coaching and all of that. Uh, so, but I also want to curse my enemies by predicting their success. <laughs> so if I'm wrong, uh, yeah, but I don't actually have any agency in this, and I'll go with my gut and say um, it'll be Mavs Celtics, and Celtics will win in seven. Ooh. Okay. So, well, I'll take I'll take my head says Celtics Warriors with the Warriors winning, and that's obviously we cannot have that. So I'm going Mavs. I'm go- I'm supporting Mavs Heat three. Let's let's do it. Yeah, and rubber match, baby. That's right. We do this every uh, what. Nine years or whatever. That's right. <laughs> and who do you have winning? Ooh, I I'm gonna take Luca. I think this is that's that's what I think kind of is brewing. It kind of to piggyback off of Nate's point is I feel like is this the arrival of Luca's domination over the league? It, has Luca arrived now as the best player in the NBA? He's I feel like he's now in the top three conversation and he's gunning for number one. And I'm scared. I think it's happening. So, uh, you know, I don't know what you guys feel like about Luca, but I feel like it's happening. I feel like this is the coronation all of a sudden. I, I, I'm I mean, gonna... I worry about I worry about like what Reggie Bullock's game is going to be like or what uh, Finney Smith's going to give you. You know what I mean? I worry. Well, about Finney <laughs> Smith's been out of his mind. Well, no, but it's been up and down. I mean, you know, I, it's just if you look at like if you look at that game seven, I mean, uh it's Brunson, 24 points, uh, Doncic, uh, 35, Dinwiddie, 30, and then basically no one else scored. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all single digits. I mean, you just, it, it's, it's tough to, to tell how they're going to function around him. Uh, but with that defense, um, and with Luca going insane, uh, I totally buy it. I mean, he's such a threat. Obviously, he's a, an insane scoring threat, but I mean, his passing is so elite and, uh, he seems to be in a really good, you know, physical shape right now, which is a huge thing for him, I think. And, uh, and if he's, if he's locked in, he's, he's making incredibly good basketball decisions. So I'm going to pick, uh, you know, Mavs, uh, heat, uh, Mavs younger, uh, are, are going to win out as the series goes on against the Warriors. Uh, and the heat, I just think the fact that they've been able to rest so much this playoffs has Ain't that the truth has, is really a huge advantage for a team that's got some older guys, got some guys who've had health issues in the past, and 
are just going to lay some wood on folks. I mean, I think if you give that each team and then all of a sudden you got Kyle Lowry that, you know, might be healthy. Um, you've got Victor Oladipo who's, you know, looked better and better as this uh, playoffs has gone on. Uh, all, all of a sudden this Miami team looks really deep and has a lot of really good two-way players. Um, I, I just feel like, and possibly the best, def- well, you know, between Draymond and, and Bam, you know, the two best defensive players left. Um, I, I just, I'm going to go with Miami. I feel like they're due. Miami over the Mavs. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We've really come full circle. I mean, a, a Cavs fan <laughs> here that's actually going to, you know, go on record for the... For well, the, it's funny because know? I was, as you know, now that Milwaukee's out, I cannot stand Boston. I can't stand Atlanta, and I can't stand, um, oh, who's the other, who did, yeah, I, it, yeah, those teams, I can't stand them. I can't stand Philly either. Right, there's you just know, not the animus. I don't the like yeah. the Heat, but I respect the Heat. You know what I mean? Right on. Like, yeah. they're yeah. not floppers. You know, Jimmy Butler plays his butt off. Um, they don't engage in a lot of cheap theatrics. Uh, they're not Draymond barking at the officials all the time. Yeah, they whine. Yeah, they're annoying. Yeah, they always get calls in Miami. But I at least respect them, and I I respect Spolstra too. So that that's who I'm I'm gunning for. So I like it. I yeah. like it. That's I nice. think you can tell from our predictions too that uh, it's going to be a really good. Yeah, it's yeah. wide open, right? <laughs> it's totally yeah. wide yeah, open. This is probably the most wide open playoffs in you know 15 years in the NBA. I love it. I mean, how, yeah. I mean, I, love I mean, it. I don't know how yeah. you guys feel, but I, it's been kind of fun. It's it it, it has fun. been fun. Yeah. Um, and with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, you got anything to pitch, Chris Francis? Okay. So, I, I, I'm a, a, a fictional upcoming article. Maybe? Exactly. <laughs> the, the roster, the roster rundown is coming, and a look at the offense is coming. That's that's the second thing. So there's two coming down the pike after the podcast, of course, drops. Two coming down the pike. So there, there you go. Nice. Um, what about you, Chris Lydon? Um, I'm going to be hopefully uh, writing and finishing um, a couple pieces for the site as well, one of which is looking at, uh, you know, s- sort of second round undrafted free agent guys that I think are, should be on the radar of the team. Ooh. Um, which could be pretty Ooh, cool. I like that. Uh, yeah, I because yeah. they've hit. I mean, they've hit on a couple guys like Stevens, Wade. They've hit on guys. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'd love I'm to see a high. Mobley brothers reunion. That would be, <laughs> he'll be mentioned, but uh, yeah. yeah, they I, they've they've really demonstrated a a very good ability to to build some of these guys up. Um, there and hey, there might be a little bit of a of a uh, Dylan Windler gaming connection there as well. Speaking of which, but um, <laughs> oh. You know, I, I do think uh, I do think that they they could hit somebody there that uh, or hit on someone there that that could be contributing down the road, just like we've seen so many other players do. Like I'm really looking forward to that. So check it out. And I was going to drop a music suggestion as well, very briefly. There's a Canadian musician named Dan Beckner. He's been in a billion bands. He was in Wolf Parade, most famously. Um, he was in the Handsome Furs. Uh, he's played with like arcade fire and stuff. But I think his best output is, is his smallest band, which is a side project called operators. Um, it's uh, electronic music, mostly analog with a little guitar and, and, and drums as well. Live drums. Uh, and they're kind of a modern take on, uh, on eighties um, uh, synth pop. And uh, 
some sort of uh, early industrial stuff. So it's very cool. Check it out. Ooh, they have wow. a couple records out, and uh, both the records are really good. Love it. And I will pitch, you know, from a music standpoint, uh, the new Kurt Vile album, um, which is called Watch My Moves. Uh, another quality selection from Kurt Vile. Uh, Simo and I uh, were going back and forth. Uh, he's a big Kurt Vile fan, so I, I pointed him in the direction of a recent, I guess it was a 2017 Sadie's album uh, called uh, Northern Passages that Kurt Vile played on. So Kurt Vile, uh, a, a very cool guitar singer, songwriter. Um, his new album is really good. And then uh, from a TV standpoint, I've been watching Outer Range, which is the weird uh, kind of uh, Twin Peaks-esque uh uh, you know, X-Files inspired uh, show on Prime starring, oh, uh, Josh Brolin. Uh, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's about a rancher in Wyoming and uh, finds a hole to nowhere on the edge of his property and, uh, and hijinks and weirdness ensue. So it, it's a pretty interesting show. And uh, if you like Lily Taylor, she's in it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a cool kind of weird out there kind of show, which I, I it's not based think. on the it's not based on the the weird the weirdo billionaire uh, Wyoming rancher, is it? With the UF with with the cows and stuff. Um, I think it's definitely inspired. By okay, some of okay, that, that's what. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that. I was like, wow, interesting. Yeah, so it's a really good show. I've, I've, I'm about three or four episodes in. So, nice. yeah. It's good stuff. And, uh, yeah, we got draft lottery tomorrow. So um, I'm assuming we may see an emergency pod if uh, the Cavs land in the top four. But <laughs> Bring um, it home, Andy. Come on, baby. But if not, uh, enjoy those curly locks. And as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs, baby. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.